Well, this week I did some research. Okay, I did a Google search. (laughs) And I simply typed in this question. Is our world getting better or is it getting worse? Now, of the top five responses, four of them said our world is getting better. Now, here's an example of one. It just gushes with how good things are. Quote, humanity is faring much better than ever before. Child mortality, famine, and poverty are at all-time lows, and life expectancy is at an all-time high. Only one search result said things are getting worse. Now, that totally surprised me. Wasn't expecting that. Because to me, and perhaps to you as well, doesn't our world seem like it's in a moral free fall? And so I guess it all depends on what standards we use. Well, instead of consulting Google, let's go with what God says. If you're able to stand, I'm going to invite you to stand, and let's give our attention to God's word as we read this section of 2 Timothy 3. We're going to find it is so powerful, it's relevant. It speaks right not only to Paul's time or Timothy's time at Ephesus, but man, as we go through this, you're going to go, oh, I see that in our world today. So let's read together. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people, for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Jonas and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. You can be seated. So last week we learned that the main thing is to keep the gospel the main thing. Here's a summary of our sermon today. No matter how bad things become, our great God is in control. In the 2022 State of Theology study, which we've referenced several times, Lifeway Research and Ligonier Ministries surveyed American Christians on their understanding of basic Christian theology. The results of this survey, well, they're alarming. And, well, let me share three of the most concerning findings. Uh, This is among evangelicals. 48% believe God learns and adapts to different circumstances. 65% believe that everyone is born innocent in the eyes of God, that people are basically good. Check this, 56%, over half believe God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, 
and Islam. When the pastoral staff went over these results, there are like 35 different results, we were stunned, but not surprised. One pastor on our team remarked that these results are in no way reflective of those who call Edgewood home. And so we wondered if there was a way to distribute that same survey that was distributed nationally to the people who call Edgewood their home. And we wanted to do that as a way to take our theological temperature. Well, several months later, we discovered that that survey is available, and so we made plans to release it to our congregation. It is now ready for us to take. There are several ways that you can access the Edgewood State of Theology Theology Survey. You can take your phone out right now and capture the QR code on the screen, and then you can come back to it after the service, or if the sermon is long and boring, you can do it during the message. I'm not sure I'm joking or not on that, but (laughs) number two, we do have hard copies of the survey available. If you'd rather do that, they're out at the Welcome Center. Several took advantage of that last night, just did it right here and turned it in. Um, If you received an e-newsletter this week, uh, we put the survey right in there, so it came in your inbox. You could go back and open that up. If we have your email, if we don't have your email address, simply fill that out on the connection card and turn that in. The survey is also available on the mobile app and website. I took the survey this week. I found it very simple to navigate. Our Mainspring Ministries also completed it. I should let you know the survey is anonymous, so you don't have to worry about uh, someone knowing what you exactly believe. It should take you only 10 minutes, maybe 15 minutes at the top to complete. And since our focus this year is on everyone, we're urging everyone to fill this out. As of yesterday, 184 people have already taken the survey. That's fantastic. Pastor Kyle and I will be sharing the results of the survey in a special live stream on Thursday, August 10th. You'll hear more about that. Now, as I studied the passage this week, I I actually struggled to not only understand it, but I struggled with how to present it. Like, I'm always praying, Lord, how do you want me to communicate what your word says? So I'm struggling with the what, and then I was like, what's, what's an outline here? What's, what's a way to communicate this so we can take God's word and apply it to our world today? And then I realized that the Apostle Paul is giving Timothy a primer on a few basic tenets of Christian theology. And so we're going to look at this passage of Scripture and draw some theological truth from it. Now, some people, they hear the word theology and they think dry, boring, fruitless. But one writer suggests everyone is a theologian in the sense that anytime we think about a teaching of the Bible and strive to understand it, well, we're engaging in theology, theos 
Greek for God, ology, the study of, so it's the study of God. So the task of theology is, has to do with knowing the true God and developing an integrated knowledge of who he is and what he has revealed in the scriptures. And I see four areas of theology here in our passage. Some of them are in seed form. Others are more fully developed. First, we're going to see eschatology and then hamartiology and then the doctrine of sanctification and finally the sovereignty of God. Let's look first at eschatology. Eschatology is the doctrine of the end times. This word comes from the Greek word eschaton, which means last days or end times. In verse 1, Paul wants Timothy to understand that while times are tough right now, uh, they're about to get terrible. Well, notice verse 1, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. I'm reminded of the guy who said, cheer up, things could be worse. He responded, I did as I was told, I cheered up, and sure enough, things got worse. (laughs) The phrase, understand this, is emphatic. It's strong. It, It means something like this, know and understand this, mark this, pay attention to this. It is important. One paraphrase says, don't be naive. So here's the idea, church. The idea is to not be surprised by how horrible things are now and how horrible things are going to get. Because if we expect an increase in evil, we'll better be able to deal with it. I think of 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. Do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that is taking place as if something strange were happening to you. Now, technically, that phrase, last days, well, that began on Pentecost with the coming of the Holy Spirit and the birth of the church. We see that in Peter's sermon. He referenced the book of Joel, Acts 2.17, and in the, here's the phrase, and in the last days, it shall be, God declares, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and that's when the Holy Spirit was poured out. So in that sense, we are living in the last days right now. If you turn back to 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, uh, there's another example of that. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons That time is also called the last hour, 1 John 2, 18. Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, future, so many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know it is the last hour. Now, having said all that, at the same time, that phrase, last days, refers to the time immediately preceding the return of Jesus Christ. So things have been bad for a long time. But listen, they're only going to intensify. They're going to intensify as we near the imminent return of Jesus Christ. 
When Jason Crosby, our deacon chairman, preached on this passage at another church recently, he made this point, quote, these seasons will become more frequent and more intense with varying degrees of danger and difficulty for Christ followers the closer we get to Christ's return. And let me say it a different way. There were difficult times in the first century. There are still terrible times today and the outpouring of evil is about to increase exponentially. The cycles of unbridled sin will increase in intensity and each cycle will be more severe than the one before it. That phrase, times of difficulty, Well, that refers to a season of difficulty, a season of sin or an error of outright evil. Well, let's focus in on that word difficulty. That means more than what you and I generally think of when we see the word difficulty. That word is only used in one other place in the Bible, and since that's the case, we should check out the context. Matthew chapter 8, verse 28, and when he, Jesus, came to the other side to the country of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men met him coming out of the tombs. All right, here's the phrase, the word, so fierce. That's the word difficulty. That no one could pass that way. Another translation says exceedingly fierce. This word was also used in classical Greek of raging storms of untamed savage animals. And so the last days will be filled with the dangerous and the demonic as people cast off restraint while society unravels. One commentator wrote this about the last days, quote, they'll be both painful and perilous, hard to endure, and hard to cope with. How many of you ever heard a sermon by J. Vernon McGee or read a commentary by him? He has several hands go up. Man, that guy, just an incredible commentator on the scriptures and a passionate communicator of the word of God. He wrote and ministered like over 60 years ago. Listen to what he said, quote, You can find evidence in history of some of these things, but I don't think you'll ever find a period in which all of them are so manifested as they are today. If that was true six decades ago, what does that mean for today? Man, the acceleration of evil is on warp speed today. Now, some Christians hold to an end times view called post-millennialism. That's a belief which teaches things are getting better. (laughs) Uh, The Bible's clear that things are going to get worse before Jesus returns. Mark this, brothers and sisters, no matter how bad things become, our great God is in control. Let's go to the second theological word, hamartiology. That's the doctrine of of sin. It's the theological study of sin. It comes from the Greek word harmardia, which means to 
missed the mark. It's an archery term, so think of a bullseye, an archer's lining up his arrow, and he wants to hit that bullseye. He not only misses the bullseye, he misses the entire target. The arrow just goes astray. That's the word for sin, because we all miss God's mark of righteousness. We miss God's bullseye. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned. There's no one innocent. Everyone falls short of the glory of God. Sin stands in opposition to the holiness of God, and our sins condemn us. Now, we're not going to spend a lot of time on each of the sins listed in verses 2 through 7, but this accumulated evidence should convince all of us of human depravity. Before jumping in, notice how verse 2 begins. For people will be... Remember when Jesus talked about the signs of the end times, he focused on signs like wars and rumors of wars and famines and pestilences and earthquakes. We see that in Mark 13. All of that is true, and we see that happening right now. But here in this passage, we're focusing on the attitudes and actions of evil people, in particular false teachers. One pastor has some good insight. In 1988, evangelical philosopher and theologian Carl Henry made a stunning prediction in his book called The Twilight of a Great Civilization. Here's what Carl Henry said. As America progressively loses its Judeo-Christian heritage, paganism will grow bolder. What we saw in the last half of the 20th century was a kind of benign humanism. But he predicted that by the start of the 21st century, we would face a situation not unlike the first century when the Christian faith confronted raw paganism. Humanism with the pretty face ripped off, revealing the angry monster underneath His words have come true, and they're coming truer with every passing day. Now, there's a catalog here of corrupt attitudes and actions. I count, depending on how you count it, I count 21 of those. As we go through this, these could be taken from our news feeds, from our headlines, from newscasts as we go through this. You'll think of examples where these sins are on public display, applauded by people today, celebrated by people today. And you might want to brace yourself as we go through this list. You might want to buckle up. It's going to be a rough ride. (laughs) Join me in the first one, lovers of self. Instead of loving God, people will love themselves more than anything else, which is the definition of idolatry. This type of narcissistic behavior is the cause of all other wickedness because when self-centeredness is unleashed, everything implodes. One of the reformers put it like this, but readers should note that lovers of themselves, would you note, comes first This can be regarded as the source from which all the others that follow spring from. I saw a clip this week of country star Miranda Lambert. 
And she stopped her concert in the middle of a song. You know why? Because some of her fans right down at the front were taking selfies of each other, of themselves. And she had it, and she lost it. This is what she said. This is the middle of a song. She stopped it. She said, the girls, and she's pointing out to these women, are worried about the selfie, and they're not listening to the song. Sorry, I don't like it at all. Now, that was the church version. It was stronger than that. But isn't that a picture of our culture today? The selfie, the self at the center, that we're lovers of ourselves. Notice next, lovers of money. Uh, Luke 16, 14 said the Pharisees were lovers of money. I mean, we saw this in our culture this past week when Americans were excited that the Powerball jackpot soared to over $1 billion, B, billion dollars. Listen, one of the world's lies is that money is the answer to life's problems. And people are lured into playing the lottery with promises that their lives will improve <laughs> If they only hit the jackpot, if they can just get lucky with the numbers, well, all their problems will disappear. Uh, Not so much. Ecclesiastes 5.10, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. 1 Timothy 6.10, the book right before this one, the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. Notice the next phrase, Proud. This means self assertive swaggerers, empty boasters. It was used of traveling quacks who were filled with empty boasts about the products they were pushing. A proud person described in Psalm 10, verse 3, reads like this For the wicked boasts of the desires of his soul. Closely related to that is the word arrogant. Arrogant means haughty. People who see themselves as over and above everyone else. The next phrase, abusive, this word refers to blaspheming God and reviling those made in the image of God. And any kind of abuse is evil. And it's abhorrent. We mentioned that last week with the sin of human trafficking. And some of you have experienced abuse and it's wrong. And notice next, disobedient to parents. It might surprise you that that's in the list. The word for disobedient means not pliable. Man, we see that today in the breakdown of the family. This was actually predicted in Micah chapter 7, verse 6, for the son treats the father with contempt, the daughter rises up against her mother. Someone put this into words, what's happening in the younger generation, quote, youth today love luxury, they have bad manners, contempt for authority, no respect for older people, they talk nonsense when they should work, young people do not stand up any longer when adults enter the room, they contradict their parents, they talk too much in company, they guzzle their food, they lay their legs on the table, and they tyrannize their elders. Do you know who said that? It was Socrates 2,600 years ago. 
And so in one sense, things haven't changed that much. On the other hand, we're going to see more of that as we move closer to the return of Christ. Notice next, people will become ungrateful. Have you observed an increasing sense of entitlement in our culture? That we just deserve everything? And kind of this disregard for God's kindness? Romans 1.21, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give, what, thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Jason said it like this, they believe they deserve everything good they receive and therefore they feel no need to be grateful. If you feel like you deserve it, why thank anybody? Why thank God? You just think it's coming to you. The next one is unholy. People will become more and more profane and impure, treating nothing as holy, living out their passions with unbridled fervor. One commentator observes the world's culture will be a reverse of the image of the things of God. It will honor things that are shameful and shame things that are honorable. Heartless. This word means hostile and odious without natural affection. We go again to Romans 1, this time verse 31, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. And there's so many examples of this in our culture. There's one that just, just this past week took place in Milwaukee. A mother and her boyfriend were arrested when her two young boys were found running outside with matted feces in their hair and welts all over their backs. That's heartless. And we're seeing more of that. Notice next, unappeasable. People will refuse to change. They'll become more implacable as we near the end. Slanderous. This is the word diabolos, from which we get the word diabolical. It's what, it's what the word accuser, or where the word accuser comes from, which is a description of what Satan does Day and night, Revelation 12.10, who accuses them day and night before our God. Without self-control, it's the idea of living without limits. I'm reminded of this quote from Vance Havner. People used to blush when they were ashamed. Now they're ashamed if they blush. Modesty has disappeared in a brazen generation with no fear of God before its eyes mocks at sin. We are so fond of being called tolerant and broad-minded that we wink at sin when we ought to weep. (laughs) It keeps going brutal. That means savage, wild, and untamed. Not loving good, these haters of good are living out Isaiah 5, verse 20. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Treacherous, that's the same word as betrayal. It describes what Judas did to Jesus. Reckless, a reckless person is rash, careless, headstrong. This person is so focused on themselves, they don't care what anybody else thinks, they don't care what kind of damage, whatever they're doing does to anyone else they don't even notice anyone else and they're swollen with conceit 
People like this are literally puffed up. It has the idea of being surrounded with smoke that you can't even see those around you. Interestingly, Paul here is circling back to pride and haughtiness, which he referenced early in the list. Now, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. The word pleasure in Greek is the word, it's where we get the word hedonism. According to one historian, one of the downfalls of Rome was attributed to people demanding when they would say something like this, give us bread and give us the circus. We want food and we want fun. Man, is that an apt description of our world today? I think of Romans 16, 18, for such persons do not serve our Lord Christ but their own appetites. I saw a post this week that epitomizes this philosophy, quote, if it doesn't bring you energy, inspiration, or pleasure, it doesn't belong in your life. Mm. Having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Now, it's a good reminder here and maybe surprising. He's speaking of religious people. The word appearance means, well, they act like they believe. They say they believe but they don't behave according to what the Bible says. They're experts on the externals. They know how to play the game, but there's no internal power to combat sin. They had a religious appearance without Christ-like character. They could say religious words without Christian content. According to Matthew 23, 25, the Jewish religious leaders were masters at faking their faith. Words of Jesus, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. Notice they creep into households and capture weak women. False teachers often slink in secretively. We see this in Jude chapter four. They crept in on Notice That word capture means to gain control over, to take as a prisoner of war. The word weak certainly does not describe all women, but does show how false teachers prey on anyone who is vulnerable. We see this when TV preachers make incessant pleas for money and promises of reward if you give money. Hey, let me just give a word of wisdom. You haven't asked, but I'm going to give it anyway. <laughs> Listen, be careful about supporting ministries that are always talking about money. I would say support those ministries that are not always talking about money. See, we also see how sinful teachers sometimes take advantage of of women through sensuality. I mean, news feeds are also full of pastors doing that. Christian leaders Friends, abuse is always wrong, and it should never, ever happen. And notice, finally, always learning, never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. There are some people who are always learning, always scrolling, always swimming in information, always looking stuff up online, but nothing's sticking. Nothing is sticking. It's important to learn, yes, and then to internalize the truth of what God's word says so that it becomes a conviction so that our character changes. 
So friends, settle this. No matter how bad things become, our great God is in control. Number three, sanctification. That's the doctrine of holy living. We come now to only the second command in this long section. Uh, Listen to the last part of verse five. Avoid such people. To avoid means to shun and turn away. The first command is found in verse one. Understand this. So we could uh, summarize this entire section by these two commands. Know them and avoid them. Now, remember, this is important to keep in mind. He's referencing religious people here, people who talk the talk, but they're not walking the walk. These people were never saved. They went out from us because they were not of us. The idea behind this is 1 Corinthians 15, 33, bad company corrupts good morals so we must stay away from these kinds of people in this text religious people who are living like this and also be careful about watching them listening to them reading their books or following them online don't let their influence into your home or into your heart And Tuesday morning, Beth and I had the honor of serving breakfast out at Camp Summit. Camp Summit's a part of Youth Hope, a ministry that we support as a church. I love their motto, bringing youth hope. For eight weeks every summer, the gospel is given to elementary, junior high, and high school students. Over 400 students uh, hear the gospel. And I was thrilled this past week that the young guy I've been mentoring this past year was at camp this week. And I was reminded, all this brought to mind some statistics from a Youth Hope newsletter. Are you aware that the average screen time for kids is now seven hours a day? Are you aware that children play outside in average of just four to seven minutes a day? And 85% of Youth Hope kids do not have a biological father present. And so that morning, as I looked around the breakfast tables, I'm like, man, something's missing. There was laughter. There was joy. They were eating pancakes and bacon. And I'm like, something's missing here. You know what was missing? None of those 50 boys had an electronic device with them. No one. They're not allowed to bring them. And so in that unplugged environment, students were able to be outside in God's creation. They got to hear the gospel every day at camp, and they learned how to have a relationship with their heavenly father. One boy came up to me, kept coming back for seconds, and he had like syrup on his face and stuff. And I said, dude, how many pancakes did you eat? He said, 30. (laughs) Wow. By the way, Edgewood, a member, Bill Beeler is in the back. Bill, raise your hand. Bill works at the food pantry at Youth Hope, and Bill told me that there's a need for more servants there. And so if you've been stirred by God, you're like, man, I have time. I'm not really doing much. I'm just kind of in a routine of whatever, and you want to make a difference, there's a need at the food pantry at Youth Hope. That's the Moline uh, Center, and you can contact me or Bill. We can get you more information. Now, as I think about those boys at Youth Hope, there's boys and girls, they come different weeks through the summer. It's great to get away for a week 
and to be separated from electronic devices. But, but here's what I thought. It's even more important for you and I to live separated from sin. I'm not saying electronic devices themselves are sin, but I'm saying you and I must learn to live separated lives, whether we're at home, we're at work, we're at play or at school. First Thessalonians 4.3 says, for this is the will of God. Let me stop there. Many times we're like, God, I want to know your will. God, what do you want for me? And that's a legitimate prayer to pray. But mark this, God has revealed his will to us in scripture. Here it is. For this is the will of God. That should cause us to sit up and pay attention. What is it? What's the will of God? Your sanctification that you live separate from sin, separated onto the Savior so you can serve him with your whole life. And then it gets even more specific. But what does that sanctification look like? That you abstain from sexual immorality. So to be sanctified means to be made clean, to be separated, set apart for a purpose. Sanctify and saint come from the same root word in Greek. Saint is the noun form of sanctified. So when you are saved, you're immediately set apart because now you belong to the Lord and as part of your growth, you and I are called to be progressively sanctified, set apart as we surrender to Christ daily. Incidentally, let me see if I can tie these together. The study of eschatology and times should always have a purifying effect on how we live today. Here's how it works. Like if Jesus could come back at any moment, then I better not be living in sin right now. I better make peace with that person that I'm in conflict with. I better start living full out for Christ because he could come back this afternoon. A year ago when we hosted the prophecy conference, I preached a message and here's the main idea. The closeness of Christ's coming should cause us to walk closely with him today. First John 2.28, and now little children that's so tender, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame. At his opinion, can you imagine what that would be like if you're all up in sin when Jesus returns? So pay attention. No matter how bad things become, our great God is in control. I can't wait to get to this final one. Sovereignty. The doctrine of God's authority. God is in charge and is always working his ways and his will to accomplish his purposes. We see this in verses 8 and 9. Just as Jonas and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. For they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all as was that of these two men. So as an example of bogus teachers Paul goes back into the Old Testament and he mentions the names of two guys who opposed Moses, who mimicked some of the miracles. 
Now, really interesting, when you go back to Exodus, you don't see their names there. Their names are not mentioned in the Old Testament. They do come from the Jewish Targum, which function like a commentary. Now, I want to invite you to join me in Exodus chapter 7 because it's important that we get this backstory. It's going it's to help us worship and uh, understand God's sovereignty more. So Moses and Aaron are charged with leading God's people out of Egypt, but they're met with resistance by Pharaoh. And as a result, God sent 10 plagues on the Egyptians, but we read that Pharaoh kept hardening his heart. So let's look at the first plague. I'm in Exodus chapter 7, verse 22. Moses and Aaron were told to strike the Nile River and it would turn to blood. Listen to what happened next, verse 22. But the magicians of Egypt did the same by their secret arts. For the second plague, anybody know what the second plague was? Frogs. God sent frogs to cover the entire land of Egypt. Then notice Exodus 8, 7. But the magicians did the same by their secret arts, and they made frogs come up on the land of Egypt. Let me just pause there to say this. The powers of darkness will do miracles in the last days. So don't be swayed. Don't go, oh, look at that. That must be true. Not necessarily 2 Thessalonians 2.9, the coming of the lawless one who is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders. Jesus said, Matthew 24, many false prophets will arise and lead many astray, and because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. Now, we see God's sovereignty on full display with the third plague of gnats. Let's pick it up in verse 17. Aaron stretched out his hand with his staff and struck the dust of the earth and there were gnats on men and beasts. Anybody getting itchy? There were gnats. All the dust of the earth became gnats in all the land of Egypt. Get this, verse 18. The magicians tried by their secret arts to produce gnats, but they could not. So there were gnats on man and beast. Then the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. See, the magicians could not match God miracle for miracle. Why? Because their occult powers were inferior to the power of God. And reluctantly, they ended up giving glory to God. In a similar way, Philippians 2, 10 and 11 teaches that everyone, even those most opposed to Christ, will bow before Christ so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So if you keep reading, the magicians are nowhere to be found during the fourth plague that's the plague of flies and then when you get to the fifth plague of boils their folly becomes plain to all that's the phrase in second timothy god let them go only so far before unleashing his righteous judgment join me in verse 11 of exodus chapter 9 and the magicians 
could not, now they can't even stand before Moses. Why? Because of the boils. For the boils came upon the magicians and upon all the Egyptians. If we go back to Exodus 7:12, the magicians turned their staffs into snakes just like Moses had done. But we read this, Aaron's staff swallowed up their staff. So friends, listen, I really want us to get this because some of us fret and we're worried like what's happening? Get this, as bad as things are, God has set some limits. I'm reminded of what God said to the seed, Job 38, 11, Thus far shall you come and no farther, and here shall your proud waves be stayed. There will come a time when he puts an end to all the perversity and he triumphs over all that is bad. The truth will win out because it is the truth. And as Billy Graham often said, I've read the end of the book and we win in the end. Remember last week, we focused on this phrase, God's firm foundation stands. We sang earlier, it is well with my soul. No matter how bad things become, our great God is in control. Do you believe that, church? You're not sure, are you? Well, let's keep going. Let's see if we can apply this passage to our lives. Number one, guard your first love. Do you know four of the attitudes and actions in this catalog of sins have to do with misplaced love? Now, let's tie something together. Paul is in prison. He's about to be martyred. He's writing to Timothy. Timothy's the pastor of the church where? Ephesus. Okay, now let's fast forward. Book of Revelation, chapter two, words of Jesus, writing to the church at Ephesus. I have this against you. You've abandoned the love you had at first. Number two, be doctrinally discerning and theologically astute. As error accelerates in the last days, and it will, friends, we need to be a people of the book, a people who examine the scriptures daily to see if it's so, to see if it's true like the Bereans did. First John 4, 1, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but what? Test the spirits to see whether they're from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Number three, don't fret, don't become unfaithful. It's time to trust that God is in control. Jesus asked some very unsettling questions in the gospel. Here's one, Luke 18, 8. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Will he find faith here at Edgewood? Next, prepare for battle by putting on the armor of God. You are in a war with your flesh, with the world. You're in a war with the devil and his demons. And if you need help knowing how to fight this battle, ask the 200 plus kids who learned how to stand for truth during SummerSlam this week. Ephesians 6.11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Many of you know Frankie Stevens. He attends the 1045 service. What you might not know is Frankie has been spraying weeds in our parking lot for years, like in the cracks in the parking lot. And so he did that recently, so I gave him a call, and I was thanking him, and this is what he said. I wrote it down. Quote, I'm killing the devil's weeds in God's parking lot. (laughs) 
Hey, brothers and sisters, let's not let the devil's weeds grow in God's people. Let's not let those weeds grow in our hearts. And then finally, go with the gospel because the time is short. Listen to what Jesus said, Mark 1.15, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now, not explicitly taught in this particular passage, I want to end with one more theological term. It's soteriology. That's the doctrine of salvation. It was G.K. Chesterton who once said, original sin is the only doctrine that's been empirically validated by 2,000 years of human history. In other words, just look around and you can see sin. The Bible says because we're sinners, we fall short of God's glory and we deserve to spend eternity in hell. That's what the Bible says. But in order to save us from our sins, Jesus came to earth and he died on the cross, shedding his blood as full and final payment for our sins, providing forgiveness of sins and eternal life. He was raised from the dead on the third day, demonstrating his power over death, the devil, and our own depravity. And when we repent of our sins and receive Jesus as Savior and Lord, we're adopted into his forever family as his children or to say it another way the scriptures alone teach that we are saved by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone to the glory of God alone friends God is delaying his judgment but there is coming a time when his judgment will be unleashed he's delaying his judgment for one main reason And that's to give you time to get right with him. But listen, it's dangerous to presume upon his patience. 2 Peter 3.9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but he's patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. I'm gonna invite you to stand. And perhaps today you're listening to this list and you see yourself in it. You certainly see others in it and and perhaps you're ready to just admit what's so obvious to God and needs to become obvious to each one of us personally, that you're a sinner and you're far from God. And the only way to have your sins forgiven is to repent and receive his finished work applying what he did on the cross to your life. Would you bow your eyes or bow your head and close your eyes? Lord, I want to just lead now that person in a prayer, but Lord, I'm not really leading anyone. It's you, Holy Spirit, who do that. But so if this is your situation and you're ready to repent and receive, you could say something like this. God, I am a sinner. I'm far from you. I've been living for my own pleasures, not thinking about others, and certainly not thinking about you. But Lord, I don't want to live like that anymore. I don't want to live far from you. And so I repent, I change my mind, I turn from how I've been living, and I turn now to you. Thank you for sending your son Jesus who died in my place. He took all my sins as my substitute, 
and when his blood was shed that paid the price for all my sins. Thank you, Jesus, that you were raised again on the third day. And now I receive you. I ask you to save me from my sins. Forgive me. I want to. I need to be born again. And so, Lord, I trust in you. And, Lord, because you're Lord, I I don't want to just ask for forgiveness. No, you're Lord. And so I'm committed by your grace to follow you as faithfully as I can for the rest of my life. If there's anything in my life that needs to go, Take it away, Lord, and help me to live for your glory and your honor. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen.